Hi, hello, and welcome to the after party. Hi. Where do we begin? Do we begin with these like whimsical, modern, colorful buildings, this Hunger Games capital style adornment and colorfulness? Or do we start with Representative Briggs? <laughs> <laughs> Two choices, up to you, really. Wherever you want. I feel <laughs> like I've really laid this out. <laughs> you can kind of just like. Choose your own adventure your way through this after party. Can we somehow use the architecture as metaphor for your relationship with Brink? <laughs> Where you arrive at it expecting one thing, get maybe alienated by the surprising things about it, and then come around and be like, no, you know what? I can orient myself, and yeah, this works. And also, neither of you are rectangles. That is true. <laughs> neither. All. I'm good at metaphors. All there you go, non-rectangular shapes. <laughs> Think about it, we're all really just complex polyhedrons now, aren't we? <laughs> Steve. So how did you and your uh, other complex polyhedron kiss? How did you, how did you get to this point? <laughs> uh, I wasn't prepared to see her, even though I knew intellectually that with all the representatives, she would be there. You know, I think at this point, Inara has seen enough of the world and realized the stakes of what exactly can go wrong that embarrassing herself in front of a person she cares about and like disappointing someone that she wants never to disappoint is not the worst possible outcome, which it kind of was before. So I think that now for the first time, she is willing to be like, hey, I am a flawed and strange person. Here I am. If you want to love me, I'm available. And that is a freaking hard place to get to. It has a lot of personal resonance with me. And it was just instinctual. Like the, the minute, you know, I, I knew Brinks was coming theoretically, but when Inara saw Brinks. Like, that was the moment where it was like, nothing is more important than me being able to take whatever small time I have to say, like, I care about you, and let's try again. I do appreciate that Inara's idea of becoming more confident is just being like, you want to kiss? <laughs> Listen. Can we, can we, I mean, can we, could we all, in a very nice and polite and consensual manner, just be like, I've had great results. You want to kiss? By saying, hey, you want to make out? <laughs> it just, it works for me. <laughs> now, her sweatshirt. Yeah. Under the pillow all time or oh, yeah, no, no. wear? I, or... think, I think the t-shirt's definitely folded up and stored under her pillow. Mm -hmm. And she has instructed the cleaners in her home mm -hmm. never to change her linens. <laughs> she does mm -hmm. it herself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, yeah. do you think it's going to irrevocably change the relationship with... Oh, that I destroyed her boots? Yeah, the boots... Revelation um, comes to light. You know, I'm really hoping that she will think that it is a romantic act of self-sacrifice mm. and just find me really, like, dashing and heroic, like a provider for her and our future family, you know, mm -hmm. all those good things. I don't think she understood that they were oh, a, no, no, no. one of the things. Me like that she would They were one of the um, faded items. That's actually an interesting point because it seems like the relics don't really hold that much importance to the representatives On necessarily. Yeah. I don't think that the current representatives understand what they do. I think that some of them are more cursed than others. Honestly, what do we know? I think that the, the liar's mouthpiece is the least powerful out of all of them because it can kind of be like 
Cole just had it. But I mean, think about the the flaming sword. A revenant held onto it and disappeared right. with it. The medallion is literally cursed. The boots were literally cursed. Oh, and then Zaul was a part like imbued himself on the labyrinth key, which wasn't exactly a key in the first place. It was the compass. There are certain levels of current power imbued in these things. A lot of them seem very quotidian until they are animated by a god or you activate them in the right way. So no, I don't think she knew what they were. And I think what's important to her is that I held on to them. And yeah, she'll yeah, yeah. she'll understand, uh, you know, fingers crossed, what the the context and reason was for that. Mm-hmm. She also had like a little bit of cash stored in that pocket, <laughs> so you do owe her like. Oh $30. yeah, no, she had twenty dollars in a tampon in there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Maybe a stick of gum, just two loose chiclets. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Oof! How gutted am I that we didn't get that vote? I cannot believe that I rolled a critical one on a skill in which I have a plus nine. This episode was the epitome of, I think, this entire Dungeons and Dragons endeavor for me as a DM. Because it really brought together all the skills that I've learned over the course of playing this game. I voiced about 200 (laughs) NPCs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also am learning when you guys want to do something, I raise the stakes. Like, I don't say no, but it's like, you guys need to roll really fucking well. And I said, I wanted to be clear about it. I'm like, this is DC 18. It needs to be persuasion. You need to make it. And I will say double or nothing. I mean, we've talked about what DCs mean. And like a DC 18 or DC 20 is like heroic. Like you are convincing someone who doesn't want to do something to do the thing. You have to go double or nothing here. Like the speaker offered you six votes. But you decided to try to push for seven. And I'm like, you know what? This is parliamentary procedure of the highest level. Like, fantasy parliament. Like, I don't know. Like, you have to go double or nothing. But I'm glad that I gave you the opportunity. And, like, I would have entertained however it went. Yeah, I think it honestly makes sense. Like, I don't don't think Inara and Tracy operate best in the political realm anyway. No. (laughs) So, like, I think think we've had our backs against the wall. We may, who knows what the vote will end up being, but... We may have our backs up against the wall again. That's when we do our best work. Yeah. I think this is a real contract between the DM and the players. Be like, I will let you roll on this, but if you're wrong, you can't pout about it. You need to accept what my ruling is. We did pout. Oh, you're, yeah, you did pout, yeah. but like you said, like, okay. If you don't acknowledge this contract, the DM can be like, all right, like you're going to try to punch the dragon in the nose, but like if you fail, you'll get eaten by the dragon. And then like the player will pout and be like, mm, the dragon ate me. I hate that. I think that and they throw have... the guacamole on the floor and leave the apartment. Exactly. I don't know. Like, I just, I want to know what happens so bad that I'm not going to do that. And this episode, I feel this often playing during the party that I want to watch the plot continue, but I also have to participate in it. And now I feel like it's it's worlds away from where we started, where I felt so much pressure and in my head about how to act and what choices to make and whether I was going to throw somebody off, any of my other players or the story off. And here it's just so clear to me what Inara would and wouldn't do. And it's so clear to me how Tracy would react. And we're on the same page about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Most things, I think. I feel over and over again, especially in, the, in this last couple arcs, like I get why people do this so much <laughs> and, and for so long because it's really fun and really interesting. And I feel like I get the chance over and over again to demonstrate what my character is and to really like put her in situations that challenge her. Whereas before it felt like I was just kind of like plucking from the air <laughs> to figure out who this person was. I feel so much of that 
development and and like the good like reassuring weight of it. It's it's interesting to me because I think about I think about the same way and I wonder what would happen if you know we just like scrapped everything and started again with the same knowledge about who our character was from mm. the jump. You know, mm. I wonder how that would make a difference. Sort of like if you were writing a novel and like wrote a couple of bad drafts to understand how you actually wanted to write it. Oh, I kind of love that. I think we'll have to get that in some a- other after party. Yeah, like that's what's, really interesting. What, with the information that you know now, would you redo any moves? I have some. I definitely have some. Well, that's that's also a fascinating way to say, like, what is, I mean, like any, you know, expression of character in fiction, like, what are the important things to demonstrate early on? Whereas before, I think those weren't really choices for us. We were just sort of acting and figuring it out as we went. Right. But, you know, in that first episode, like, what would Anar in episode 48 do that Anar in episode one had no idea about? Like, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm so delighted that we get to see a new city I can't believe that I never speculated in my brain about what Concentra would be like. But Eric, please tell us whence this futuristic vision and how long have you been thinking about planning our visit to the capital? And is everyone in the city an architect? Or <laughs> how many are Stanley Tucci? Like one? <laughs> is it a hundred? Is it everybody? Is variations on a theme? Parentheses Tucci? I think yes. <laughs> Everything is is re Tucci. <laughs> I know a joke lands with Eric when he points at me like my guy. <laughs> Man, there is so much. This was again. This was such an embodiment of my work that I've done as a DM here. It was weird writing down all of the names of the representatives. That was such a weird moment for me during this prep. Why? It's all of the work that I've done. Like I was like, okay, the representative of Fidopolis is. Representative Kiko, obviously. The representative of Chronopolis is Representative Nectaria. Like, I've, I, I've had that locked in since episode one. But, like, the other three were things that we found along the way. We met Representative Shields in his shifting, weird German accent. You regret that? or I do regret that. Don't do that. Never <laughs> never do that. Um, representative Brink, obviously, was a giant part of Bachelorette Party. And then we didn't interact with a representative in, in Hunting Party. So I had to put forward someone that I thought would be a representative who was much like Salmon, like gnomes can work with mech suits for whatever reason. Like in my head, you know, gnomes can use mech suits for mobility, whatever that might mean, if if you can walk or you need it for labor or whatever. So this gnome does it because she's a scientist. And I felt like the embodiment of New Donk City in Fropolis was someone saying they were a scientist more than once. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. It was such like it brought everything that I had been working on together. And I'm like, I need to remember my five cities, my sixth city, which I always had set up. And then I need to remember the people who inhabit those cities. Concentra has been in my head for a very, very long time. I think around episode one, I knew that Concentra was going to be this like Hunger Game-esque sort of place, the capital, pretty standard as uh, fantasy fair. But I kind of wanted to cross it with Washington, D.C., you know, it's funny. I actually had, I knew what the scene was going to look like over a year ago. Well, I think I saw Black Panther with Vanda. Yeah. And we walked out of Black Panther and there were those scenes where the representatives of the tribes all met together, mm-hmm. like especially the one where they introduced Killmonger and he says, hi, auntie, like that one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is how groups of people come together within a futuristic slash modern country. Like, I, I kind of love that. And I wanted there to be this boardroom scene where the speaker, kind of like T'Challa, but in a different way because T'Challa is a king, but the speaker is like the speaker of the UN in this way, who uh, runs the meetings, but like the five representatives need to hash this out or nothing gets done. 
in my brain, they're all in like different color palettes, you know, like representing the motifs of the levels that we've passed through and like different musical cues as they come in. I was really surprised at how swiftly this episode moved. Like we spent a long time in conversation and there wasn't a lot of like, quote unquote, action. But at the beginning, we didn't realize we were going to be going to the city. And yet Franny was like, okay, down the hole, stop off for wings, like off we go. And classic I thought, Franny. I classic the meeting... Actually, classic Franny. <laughs> I thought that the meeting would be happening like two weeks from now in the Capitol, but this is clearly a matter of urgency. And I loved that disappearing paper airplane mail system. How cool. Who needs owls? I love Franny. She's so associated with Sarah in my mind because we met them at the same time <laughs> that I just like, I picture fantasy hag Sarah. And I love it. Franny is so good at the things she's good at and so bad at the things she's bad at that I think that she is, again, I keep saying embodiment, but she's really the embodiment of the kind of person that is going to join your party when y'all don't have a third person. Like someone who's going to move things along, able to do things that y'all aren't able to do, but also like cannot speak and be a person, a trustworthy person, even though she is literally doing as much as possible to demonstrate she's your ally. I mean, she's super magical and she knows the speaker, which makes sense because they're both like the oldest freaking people in the entire world. There's a thing about hags called weird magic that it's like you can take spells that exist and you make them like as weird as possible. Like in traditional Dungeons and Dragons where a hag is just like this monstrous witch woman. There's this thing where it's like you get, you're supposed to give them a mount. So ordinarily you would have like a flying horse or something. But it's like do whatever you want. Give them a flying pig. Give them like a vacuum to ride. Like it's very much supposed to be as weird as possible. <laughs> and I really wanted to lean into that. But not she's not a monster. She is a misanthrope, which I love. Me too. I'm coming around. <laughs> Brandon himself is coming around. Speaking of assembling the council, though, Tell us a little bit about how this council differs from the one that set up the astral prison. Yeah, I noticed there, uh, asked you in the game, there's no Kenku in this one. Right. We have two different councils here. We have the current representatives, who are the five people who I've assembled, Brink, Shields, the two dads, and Dore. And then we have the original council, who had the items who put the Council of Bright away the first time. The OC, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't really talk about what ha- what was the government or like what was the world like before the centering, but it's like right now we know the Council of Bright was a megalomaniac and did all this stuff, uh, and then they assembled these five people to put him away, and then they split off and created the city-states as they are. So I think that that's the real lore here, and I think we finally have some connective tissue. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens when a thing that happened a millennium ago, now current government people need to embody that? It's not necessarily going to be the same, or it's not mythical in this way. My favorite DM trick that I've learned is asking you guys questions about what your respective characters are doing at this moment. Oh, my God. And a dream popped fully realized out of my subconscious? Yeah. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. That is something I would recommend to any DM to do. Like, it... It really widens and flavors the world, and it really like technically does nothing for like the plot or movement, but it's such a like rich character device that it's yeah. really nice to do. I think the first time I did it was when you guys were coming back from the the challenge on the boat, mm-hmm. yes. and you guys were like, "How happy are you?" Just like being on this boat in the sun, <laughs> yeah. and I think it's it's really made you guys think about your character a lot, and I'm very yeah. happy with it. Those are some of my favorite moments of the show, like that one and the one 
on the summer roof scene. Oh yeah, when you guys scene. were escaping Bachelorette Land. Yeah, and that's some of the yeah. most favorite stuff I've gotten to score too. So like yeah. And you asked us very early on, I think maybe after we recorded episode one or episode two, to think and, and an invitation to talk with you about what our characters want, what they're going for. And even a, a question that simple really helped me to sort of clarify, like, what is Anar doing here, period? Mm. What What is she doing? What does she want? And I feel like every time you ask me that question or a question like that to sort of freestyle, you know, in, in Anar's voice, it gets a little bit clearer, a little bit more instinctive, a little bit easier. Finally, at the <laughs> on episode forty-eight, I'm starting to understand what you guys want, and I think I can finally like lead you down the path as it's happening, which is exciting. How's Tracy doing, <laughs> Brando? He's doing good. He's good. Yeah, nothing's tangible yet. The council seems just like such a ridiculous person that nothing that he says is like worth entertaining until anything tangible happens. You know. Yeah. So until something actually pops off or is in front of him, I think Tracy's just gonna play it cool. Oh, that's real. Yeah. I think. I mean, he can only do so much within the within the bubble. In my head, the Council of Bright is like if Dracula was sent forward in time, like a thousand years. No, the actual like Baron who inspired Dracula. Like, oh, yeah. why would I be afraid of Attila the Hun? Like, he's just some large man right. who like wants to punch me in the face. Right. Exactly. Like, I think that's what I always love. It though. Like, I'm nervous for Alonzo. And it was it was such a relief to hear his regular voice. It was so nice to identify the person that we were really close to becoming friends with on that drive back from Anthropolis. Yeah. It was so heart wrenching, I think, for both of us, Brandon, to to see possessed Alonzo, what we now know to be possessed Alonzo. So it was it was wonderful to hear him. It was so nice to see him and Greg reconnect. I hope that all listeners shared with me that like relief and joy at seeing them together, albeit separated by Amber. And I just feel Whoa! for him. I just what what reference is that? Amber is the color of your energy. I don't know what that Whoa! is. <laughs> What's happening? It's the song Amber by three eleven. Who's 311? They're like a no, dumb, that's the correct They're like a dumb re- quasi reggae band from the late 90s. Someone wants to play the song for me as we uh, as we end the episode. Sure, I'll, I'll take it right now. <laughs> Point being, I missed Alonzo. I have wanted him and Greg to be happy for like four arcs, and I was really glad to to meet him again in this episode. This is a little bit behind the screen that I really want to reveal something that I've been talking about with Condor for a very long time. I wanted to demonstrate the effect of the medallion on Alonzo over the course of the campaign. So as each star went out and like as whatever is happening with the medallion is happening and the Council of Bright, I guess, is possessing him more and more, I wanted to become like more aggressive and more Mm. warlike. So it was a fun time for me. I was playing Alonzo from the first two arcs. Even after two stars, even after political party, in pool party, do you remember how gung-ho he was to destroy the whale? Yeah. Like, totally different from the dude from wedding party. He wanted to be a hero. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I think, like, that's enough. There's, like, something that's pulling on you. So now that there's one and these two are fully separated, like, the person that you have interacted with was so much, which even was, like, a dick to Johnny at the end of Bachelorette Party, like, had a lot of effect of stars on him. So it was the idea here that kind of the council crept into him with each successive star. Yeah. And then finally there was like a critical mass where the council was able to speak for himself. Yes. That was what happened when there were four stars out. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that Alonso is relatively okay, even if he's suspended. And uh, we love him. We have him near. He's near Greg, but have a a lot to do before all is a happy ending here. Yeah. I think we should also just acknowledge that this is the first time that our party is resolved 
and steadfast in their commitment to Greg and Alonzo as a yes, as a team. absolutely, totally. Like, even against and Greg and Alonzo are all on the same page. The first time Tracy and Nara, Greg and Alonzo are on the same page is right now. <laughs> Oatcake is okay. Oat has always been on board. Oatcake <laughs> is here for the snacks. Can we talk about the plethora of breakfast foods we experienced. Yeah. Oh my god, you guys are so much, so good. <laughs> the speaker knows. I love that she preemptively got us breakfast. That makes me very happy. Absolutely. It's really coming to a head here. I think next episode is going to be the last one of this arc. Mm. Ooh. Amanda, do you want to take a guess, a wild swing in the arc at what the name of the next arc will be? Who? Um, welcome party. Welcoming party. I like that. That's interesting. I think it'd be interesting for like arc seven to be called welcome party. I just think it'd be cool. Can't tell you. I'm Homecoming sorry. party. That's not a thing, is it? Wedding party two. Revenge on the wedding. <laughs> Renewal of the vows. <laughs> Political party, comma, but again. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we will leave the arc name speculation to all of you in the Discord and on Twitter, but I cannot wait to see what happens. This is one of those episodes where I realized that it was the end of the plot, and I felt the bear, 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 bear coming on, but I didn't want to stop because I want to see what happens next. So I'll have to wait two more weeks, I guess. I'm... No, Amanda, you get to know ahead of time. I know, but we're recording two weeks from tonight, so I, I have to wait two weeks. <laughs> As we uh, lay our sleepy heads down and Alonzo slumps in the bubble, poor soul, we are glad that you are here on the journey. Thank you for joining us. As always, we love to hear your reactions to the episodes and the after parties. We post them. We get so excited. We get all ready. Then we sit at our computers and we just want to see what people think. So please hit us up. We're at Join the Party Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you are a patron, if you are pledging your hard-earned human dollars to support Join the Party, we love talking to you in the Discord. Share your pet photos. Share the recipe you cooked tonight. Let us know what you thought in our spoiler story chat channel. And ask us questions for future after parties. We love it. And that is where we go first for questions every time. You can join the crew at patreon.com slash join the party pod. And if you're already a patron, thank you. That about wraps it up for us. Gentlemen, anything to add here? Green bell peppers, goat cheese, and chives to finish. Are you still talking about pizza? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. <laughs> go cheese on pizza is great. <laughs> Bye, guys. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Bye.